I'm Holiday. I'm Taraday. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warm? Picture it. Sicily, 1912. Hi, folks. Welcome to Killers, Cults, and Nut Jobs 2.0, where we cover all crime. I am, as always, your host, the charming, the dashing, the debonair, the great white snark, Scotty J. And joining me on our descent into the macabre is the beautiful and twisted Monica. Hi. And like I said, she comes in with a smile on her face. And a cough to interrupt you, too. Right. My apologies for that one. I was just like, just had to come out. You coming down with something or is it your allergies this week? Yeah, it's the allergies. It's like this weather. It's all like been all. Yeah. Mom's getting it bad because of the uh, people mowing their yard and pulling weeds around here. Yeah. Fortunately, where I am, it's all stone. So, well, yeah, you got it. I mean, you're in a nice area too, man. I want to, I found out uh, the company that I work for, we have a a branch office in Jersey. What part of Jersey? Uh, Bridgerton. Yeah, I think that's near where we are but hey one step closer one step closer to the dream yeah that is in cumberland county near delaware oh southern park okay so you're not as not as far as you thought yeah yeah because it's basically it's almost like two different states they go from i think it's like north jersey to like South Jersey, but still in between, we don't claim. Neither of us claim the middle part. Oh, right. The, the the is that where the Pine Barrens is? Yeah. In the middle. Right. Uh-huh. Well, that's Jersey Devil territory anyway. So you know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with the weird New Jersey magazine and everything. Yeah. It's always, it's like ninety five percent north and central, and then like the five percent. Something it's like this southern part so we see something from around here it's like oh my gosh there like well, all the ads are all like right know, if different. i remember right wasn't uh cape may the actual location of the uh shark strike in 1912 that I mean, inspired jaws yeah that was 1916 and that was wow i was four years mm-hmm. off yeah well yeah I, it's easier for me to remember because like year my grandmother was born right and you're i mean you're not far from cape may too well yeah i could pretty much walk it actually right and and i i need to i need to get out there i've got that and there's um there was a movie with (coughs) the elk from slash it was actually it was pretty good but like it was a directed dvd yeah, I I need to get would, back to Cape May and go. You always ask me all the stuff when we're recording. I could like I could be, be pre- I could be prepared, you know. Well, but you always like throws on me like, hey, how about this? I'm like, why not? Hey, hey, keeping you on your toes. Oh, no, I, I need to go nuts. I need to go back to Cape May to that um Norwegian jewelry shop that 
we saw last time I was out there. I'm I'm looking for a particular necklace. Oh, yeah. But enough yeah, of our enough of our digress into where we want to tour. We're getting know, back in Charles Van Sant, but he's the new oh that's like yeah, he's another one. If I had known before, like he was oh. so close. I was like, I found that. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, he was that? <laughs> like, no. So, I, yeah. That's my, we, one of my favorites. Sorry. Okay. Well, before we get in, I picked up a book Saturday. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I had to run a friend to O'Hare Airport because she was going to uh, the Philippines to meet her girlfriend. And okay. there was no bathroom around. So I went to Half Price Books, which, you know. You know, I can't walk into half price books without picking up something. Yeah. And apparently there was a murder going on in Chicago at the same time that H.H. Holmes was doing his stuff. Oh, there um, it was like a husband. Because actually, I think we're like on the same wavelength now with this. Yeah. Um, uh, the book. Um, I forget the name, but it was like a husband killed his wife the one that i picked up was called the alchemy of bones Mm -hmm. mine it was like a bunch of different right murder stories and i'm reading a book on jefferson now but i really want to really want to read this story and get it scripted that way when we get to hh holmes we can tie the story in yeah and we can say that my i have relatives that are Literally, you can see read yeah. their stone from his grave, which is like, yeah. So yeah, so that's how I end up being a personal favorite, <laughs> right? And then well, I picked up Patty Hearst's autobiography too. Nice, yeah, nice, yeah, like, yeah. You sent me the picture. I was like, great. Yeah. And then the um the bundle the oh the last living witness or or the only living witness I, on Bundy. Uh, now I'm gonna sound so thumbnail uh, i i gotta do uh yeah. well, I, that's I the gotta, only living it was not about bundy so i was like so oh. i've got to do some reading before uh I, I i've got to get some reading done so that i can get us ahead on scripts yeah so i bought up that's why i picked up some of the a couple of those books with the it was different um bunch of like women they killed and yeah. then the other one was pretty thick i think it was it was printed in england so there's like like they didn't have a very good editor but the stories are like good enough that right i would give it like a three out of five kind of deal but so i also picked that up figuring yeah yeah i'm i'm thinking about making a road trip up to uh michigan to a true crime bookstore that i follow on facebook and you have to get to bath if that's yes i i will try okay enough of our amble wanderings (laughs) here uh we're going to continue on with our story now we're going into part three of Bundy. And if you remember last week, well, Bundy is operating out of Utah at this point. 
He's in Utah. He's he's hitting Idaho, Hudaho, Idaho. He's in Idaho, Colorado. And his one girlfriend is uh she's sweating bullets because every time Bundy comes around, she's been talking to the police. So onward to part three. On August 16th, 1975, I was two years old. I was probably walking, eating solid food. My mother was pregnant with my sister. Bundy was arrested by Utah Highway Patrol Officer Bob Hayward in Granger, which is another Salt Lake City suburb. Hayward observed Bundy cruising a residential area in his Volkswagen Beetle during the pre-dawn hours and fleeing at a high speed after seeing a patrol car. Now, this makes me wonder, was he out finding a victim? He was just probably picking up some milk, you know. Right, you know. He, I mean, he, they have to Yeah, they have to do errands sometime, too, right? Right, he's like that father that goes out for the pack of cigarettes and never returns. Yeah. He noticed that the Volkswagen front passenger seat had been removed and placed on the rear seat. And, well, he, given probable cause, he searched the car. He found a ski mask, a second mask fashioned from pantyhose, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, a coil of rope, an ice pick, and other items initially assumed to be burglary tools. Bundy explained that the ski mask was for skiing, duh, and he had found the handcuffs in a dumpster, that's a plausible story, and the rest were common household items. Okay. However, Detective Jerry Thompson remembered a similar suspect and car description from the, the November 1974 Durant kidnapping and Bundy's name from Clopper's phone calls a, a month later. In a search of Bundy's apartment, police found a guide to Colorado ski resorts with a check mark by the Wildwood Inn and a brochure that advertised the Viewmont High School play in Bountiful, where Ken had disappeared. Now, this could all be circumstantial, but, you know, this is Ted Bundy. The police did not have sufficient evidence to detain Bundy, so he was released on his own recognizance. Bundy later said that searchers missed a hidden collection of Polaroid photographs of his victims, which he destroyed after he was released. Smart move. Smart move. Salt Lake City police placed Bundy on a 24-hour surveillance, and Thompson flew to Seattle with two other detectives to interview Klopfer. She told them that in the year prior to his move to Utah, she discovered objects that she I just couldn't understand why he had them, officer. They just didn't make sense to me. In her house and in Bundy's apartment. Are you you're gonna stash shit, murder shit at your girlfriend's place? You bastard. I guess he thought that. Yeah, she'd just be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure." Well, well, it, it's a of course, dear. You can you can stash that here. I love you. I yeah. love you too. Uh-huh. Yeah. These items included crutches, a bag of plaster of pears that he admitted stealing from a medical supply house, and a meat cleaver that was never used for cooking. 
I wonder why. Additional objects included surgical gloves, an oriental knife in a wooden case that he kept in his glove compartment, and a sack full of women's clothing. Bundy was perpetually in debt, and Clawford suspected that he had stolen almost everything of significant value that he possessed. When she confronted him over a new TV and stereo, he warned her, If you tell anyone, I'll break your fucking neck. She said Bundy became very upset, very, very upset whenever I talked about this. And whenever she considered cutting her hair, which was long and parted in the middle. Key facts here, folks. She would sometimes awaken in the middle of the night to find him under the bed covers with a flashlight examining her body. Ooh. I was just checking her freeing out the moles and stuff. Oh, oh yeah, you know, just, just making sure that uh, he kept a lug wrench taped halfway up the handle in the trunk of her car, another Volkswagen Beetle, which he often borrowed for protection. Okay. Detectives confirmed that Bundy had not been with Clopper or any on any of the nights during which the Pacific Northwest victims had vanished, nor on the day Ott and Naslin were abducted from Lake Sammamish State Park. Shortly thereafter, Clopper was interviewed by Seattle homicide detective Kathy McChesney and learned of the existence of Stephanie Brooks and her brief engagement to Bundy around Christmas of 73. In September, Bundy sold his Volkswagen Beetle to a Midvale teenager. Utah police impounded it, and FBI technicians dismantled and searched it. They found hairs matching samples obtained from Campbell's body. Later, they also identified hair strands, microscopically indistinguishable, from those of Smith and DeRanche. FBI lab specialist Robert Neal concluded that the presence of hair strands in one car matching three different victims who had never met one another would be a coincidence of mind-boggling rarity. Yeah, imagine how fast they could have solved this today with our technology. Oh, yeah. On October 2nd, detectives put Bundy into a lineup. Durant immediately identified him as Officer Roseland, and witnesses from Bountiful recognized him as a stranger at the Viewmont High School Auditorium. There was insufficient evidence to link him to Kent, whose body was never found, but more than enough evidence to charge him with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault in the Durant case. He was freed on $15,000 bail, paid by his parents, and spent most of the time between indictment and trial in Seattle, living in Klopfer's house. Seattle Sweating police, bullets again. Yep. Seattle police had insufficient evidence to charge him in the Pacific Northwest murders, but kept him under close surveillance. When Ted and I stepped out on the porch to go somewhere, Klopfer wrote, so many unmarked police cars started up that it sounded like <laughs> the beginning of the Indy 500. <laughs> It reminds me of like um, the old Leslie Nielsen movies, Police Squad. Hey, yeah, the Naked Gun. Uh huh. Well, in the eighties, it was a it was an actual show called Police Squad. It only ran for like six episodes before it was canceled. Or uh, a scene from Police Academy where you know they're all sitting there. Guy steps out and they just saw cue up the engines. <laughs> 
In November, the three principal Bundy investigators, Jerry Thompson from Utah, Robert Keppel from Washington, and Michael Fisher from Colorado, met in Aspen, Colorado, and exchanged information with 30 detectives and prosecutors from five states. While officials left the meeting, later referred to as the Aspen Summit, convinced that Buddy was the murderer they sought, they agreed that more hard evidence would be needed before he could be charged with any of the murders. In February 1976, Bundy stood trial for the Durange kidnapping. On the advice of his attorney, John O'Connell, he waived his right to a jury due to jury trial due to the negative publicity surrounding the case. After a four-day bench trial and a weekend of deliberation, Judge Stuart Hansen Jr. found him guilty of kidnapping and assault. In June, he was sentenced to one to 15 years in the Utah State Prison. In October, he was found hiding in bushes in the prison yard, carrying an escape kit, roadmaps, airline schedules, and a social security card, and spent several weeks in solitary confinement. That would do it. Yep. Later that month, Colorado authorities charged him with Campbell's murder. After a period of resistance, he waived extradition proceedings and was transferred to Aspen in January 1977. On June 7th, 1977, Bundy was transported 40 miles from the Garfield County Jail in Glenwood Springs to Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen for a preliminary hearing. He had elected to serve as his own attorney and, as such, was excused by the judges from the judge from wearing handcuffs or leg shackles. During a recess, he asked to visit the courthouse's law library to research his case. While shielded from the guards, shielded from their view behind a bookcase, he opened a window and jumped to the ground from the second story, injuring his right ankle, ankle as he landed. Now, I think um, in the documentaries I've seen, he, he practiced in his jail cell, like bouncing, uh, falling from his top bunk to the floor to build his legs up to, uh, to withstand the impact. After shedding an hour later of clothing, Bundy walked through Aspen as roadblocks were being set up on its outskirts, then hiked southward on the Aspen Mountain. Near its summit, he broke into a hunting cabin and stole food, clothing, and a rifle. The following day, he left the cabin and continued south toward the town of Crested Butte, <laughs> Crested Butte, actually, but became lost in the forest. For, due day, for two days, he wandered aimlessly on the mountain, missing two trails that led downward to his intended destination. On June 10th, he broke into a camping trailer on Maroon Lake, 10 miles south of Aspen, taking food and a ski park up. But instead of continuing southward, he walked back, back north toward Aspen, eluding roadblocks and search parties along the way. Three days later, he stole the car at the edge of Aspen Golf Course. Cold, sleep-deprived, and in constant pain from a sprained ankle, Bundy drove back into Aspen, where two police officers noticed his car weaving in and out of its lane and pulled him over. He had been a fugitive for six days. In the car were maps of the mountain area around Aspen that prosecutors were using to demonstrate the location of Campbell's body, as his own attorney, Bundy had rights of discovery, indicating that his escape was not a spontaneous act, but he had been planned. 
Back in jail in Glenwood Springs, Bundy ignored the advice of friends and legal advisors to stay put. The case against him, already weak at best, was deteriorating steadily as pretrial motions consistently resolved in his favor and significant bits of evidence were ruled in, inadmissible. A more rational defendant might have realized that he stood a good chance of acquittal and that beating the murder charge in Colorado would probably have dissuaded other prosecutors. With as little as a year and a half to serve on the Durant's conviction, had Ted persevered, he could have been a free man. Instead, Bundy assembled a new escape plan. He acquired a detailed floor plan of the Garfield County Jail and a hacksaw blade from other inmates, accumulated $500 in cash, Smuggled, smuggled in over a six-month period, and I don't want to know where it was put. He later said by visitors Boone in particular. During the evenings, while other prisoners were showering, he saw a hole about one square foot between the steel reinforcing bars in his cell ceiling, and having lost 35 pounds, was able to wiggle through it into the crawl space above. In the weeks that followed, he made a series of practice runs exploring the space. Multiple reports from an informant of movement within the ceiling during the night were not investigated. By late 1977, Bundy's impending trial had become a cause celeb in the small town of Aspen, and Bundy filed a motion for a change of venue to Denver. On December 23rd, the Aspen trial judge granted the request, but to Colorado Springs, where juries had historically been hostile to murder suspects. <laughs> oh, darn it. On the night of December 30th, with most of the jail staff on Christmas break and nonviolent prisoners on furlough with their families, Bundy piled books and files in his bed, covered them with a blanket to simulate his sleeping body, and climbed into the crawl space. He broke through the ceiling into the apartment of the chief jailer, who was out for the evening with his wife, changed into street clothes from the jailer's closet, and walked out the front door to freedom. After stealing a car, Bundy drove eastward out of Glenwood Springs, but the car soon broke down in the mountains on Interstate 70. A passing motorist gave him a ride into Vail, 60 miles to the east. From there, he caught a bus to Denver, where he boarded a morning flight to Chicago. Back in Glenwood Springs, the jail skeleton crew did not discover the escape until noon on December 31st, more than 17 hours later. By then, Bundy was already in Chicago. <laughs> that's fucked up. Yep. All right, that's where we're going to wrap up part three of Ted Bundy. I, I already got a name picked out for this episode. You know, I usually put like, you know, origin or the kills or whatever. This one's going to be called Rud, Run Ted Run. Yeah, like the whole like the Run Bambi Run. With the no, I was thinking more yeah. Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, yeah. run. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I was in jail, I was planning my escape. Once I got out, I started running. Well, it works, so. <laughs> All right. I mean, hell. Are we sure Bundy wasn't Houdini reincarnated? Yep. 
Aha, it is I, Houdini. I got to, you know, like I said, when we did, did uh, Gacy, I was so young at this point. 77, I was four years old. I was asleep in bed when the news came on. So I never knew about this until later in life. I'm trying to think. I'm not really sure the first. Well, probably like Dahmer. He'd be the first one I really um, remembered because I was almost I, 11. I guess I remember well, Dahmer was big. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, you were also like almost uh, 20, too. So. Yes, I remember, like I said, when we did Gacy, I remember the execution. Yes, yeah, like I was, I'm like, you think I would remember that too? Because I was old enough to remember, but I really don't. I'm just curious. Uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to see if they have. Um... Oh, I did find a Gacy shirt that said no time for clowning around. Oh, cool. Well, I was looking to see if they had the no more tears for this clown. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, I did find one for the magnificent Pogo the clown. How much uh, is that one? Um, fourteen bucks on T Public, oh. where where you could go on T Public and buy T shirts of Killers, Cults, and Nut Jobs. Yay! Yeah, I know we got to work on some new designs. Yeah. <laughs> oh damn! But I say we're gonna wrap up Bundy Part Three. The old man has to get this bed tired. <laughs> All right, you don't have to listen to us anymore. For this week. Now, next week is we're gonna wrap up the uh, the Bundy saga. Um, gonna be alive. That's gonna be a long one too. Um, I'll I'll double check, but I think. Um, well, I know it's this the court case in Florida and. Yeah, and then. Did he ride the lightning? Yeah, he rode the lightning. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Florida don't fuck around. Or Texas. No. God, no. Yeah. Um, I know when we, we shut, um, when we closed down for the night, there was a, I'm going to see if we could, uh, I'm going to toss a couple names out because I'm going to see if I can find books on them. Okay. But uh, if you're looking for us, folks, Spotify is the best one until I can get our ass on M. Uh, Apple, God, I need to take a look and um, I need to go buy one of those uh, iFix shops and see if they can fix my iPod. It should be, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, Podbean, Spotify, definitely Spotify. Check us there. Join us on the Facebook page. Um, update that as much as I can. And for Killers, Cults, and Nut Jobs 2.0, I am Scotty J. Say goodnight, Monica. Good night, Monica. <laughs> <laughs>